Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Marina, hello. Hi, Misha. It is episode number nine. I like number nine. I like it as well. Why do you like number nine? I don't know. It kind of feels like it's balancing somehow, like on the edge of things. Yeah. I also like six and nine, especially together. And especially <laughs> when we are talking, like when we were talking last time about sex, six and nine are really good numbers. Mm. <laughs> they are. You can turn them around. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, so no, let, let's not go there. What are we going to talk about today? <laughs> guidance, right? Guidance. So guidance in a way, how to lead, how to follow, and how to be in between? Yes. Th these are... I guess I, I would... I guess I would say three ways of being in life. Mm-hmm. Three, three ways of being in, in that very fine balance between apprenticing and teaching. Mm. Between being a master and being a student. Yeah. Like how we walk through life, always balancing from, from one foot to the other. Like we are always learning, we are always teaching. But in our teaching, there is also a surrendering to learning, a surrendering to apprenticing. Would you say that even if you do not identify yourself as a student, you are still always a student? Well, I think that <laughs> I think not learning is impossible. Life makes you learn even if you don't want to. Exactly. Like it, it, you are forced to. You are forced into situations that you cannot easily get yourself out of. You are forced into circumstances that bring suffering and pain. And you are also freed from them inevitably. And so as this happens, you know, the ups and downs of getting lost, of getting found, you inevitably learn you inevitably see for me there is something very very confusing for instance i have had this experience of getting into the same problem over and over and over and over until i found my way out Oh. The, but the confusion part comes from another idea I have in my head and in my mind. And I remember we discussed that. You remember that conversation we had where we shared that you are not thinking, you are being thought. Remember that? That... It's, these are not your thoughts. They arise without your control. Yeah. 
And if they arise, we can say that, well, your life is pretty much determined. It's like the dilemma between determination and free will. So if your life is determined, why the hell I'm getting into the same trouble again and again, and why this thought does not arise earlier to get me out of that suffering? Why I need to suffer if that's all determined? Well, that's that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we seem to find a lot of those in our conversations, Misha. But we are we are in the game of becoming aware. And our level of awareness is what determines the experience that is brought. You're saying is that our ability to witness the lesson will predict whether we're going to get the lesson again or not. I think so. I think so, yeah. But at the same time, it is not up to us, the level of awareness. You see, our openness is dictated by everything we have lived and everything we have lived is dictated by our openness. So it's not, it's it's the always present case of the chicken and the egg. Right? <laughs> but the problem of the chicken and the egg is only visible, is only apparent if you are thinking in terms of time. If you are not thinking in terms of time, everything is coming together at the same time. Yes. Yes. So like when we were talking about my, my Buddhist nun and Ida Pakayata, everything is coming together at the same time. So everything is interdependent, both in time and outside of time. But outside of time, everything is happening precisely coming together. I don't know, in my mind, I, I kind of see like a weaving, you know, coming together, like the design. You cannot see it, but as it comes together, Everything needs to be in its place and everything needs to be moving according to where it's going to fall, where it's going to land. And it might not make sense if you look at it individually, but at some point, which is now, all of it comes together as it is, as it has been, as it must be. Now, yes, you are correct. The situation, the lesson, comes back, remastered. <laughs> I, I honestly have seen that we make ourselves miserable for as long as we can, until we cannot anymore. And then we let go. Then we surrender. And then we see. And so maybe, maybe the game is becoming more and more sensitive to this very personal, ego-driven sense of, I will figure it out by myself and, and learn to surrender it faster. You see, because we play that game until we cannot take it anymore, and then we surrender. And then we play it again, and then we surrender. 
but at some point you become you become awakened to that game so that you can let go of it sooner you have to suffer less you see so i don't believe that suffering is predetermined i don't believe that suffering is real well there you go if it's not real it cannot be anything right <laughs> your question was why does there need to be suffering so there there doesn't need to be but it is the way we learn to collaborate with life to surrender to life what are some of the ways we can surrender Let's see. Your beloved Byron Katie says, meet every circumstance as if you had chosen it. Yes. Yes. So another way that we have talked about is entering agreement with life, entering agreement with what is. So becoming present, allowing, and then from there, the next step, loving what is, regardless of what it is. I'm thinking about my other teacher, uh, Aaron Beck and his daughter, Judy Beck. And um, Aaron, he's the, uh, the, the father of cognitive behavioral therapy. And what he had identified, and these things were identified before him, but basically he categorized and gave this knowledge a definition. And he, there is something he calls negative automatic thoughts. There is the idea, negative automatic thoughts. Okay, thank you for reading yeah. that. And there is the idea that reality is very neutral. It's not good, you know, neither bad. And it's only your thought that can destroy, distort the reality. And because you distort the reality, you suffer. Exactly. And what you need to do as a prudent student in this case, in this context, as a prudent witness, is to see their reality and try to pass through neutral. Trying to pass through neutral, not always possible, because as we see any object in the real world we'll, we try to immediately describe the object to our consciousness like i see a chair i see a house i see a tree but passing through neutral is trying to move without giving descriptions and without identifying anything and as you go without labels and categories you also would not feel anything in your body and this is how you can pass through neutral now you don't have to pass through neutral with everything in your life like if you look 
you know, at, 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 your, at your children and you think, wow, oh my God, how I love these kids, you know. It's okay to feel that because you, like vibrationally, you, you feel so great. But then the other moment you see like your son, you know, kicking your daughter <laughs> in the face. It sounds and like you have experience. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, 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 and you think, Geez, oh my God, he should behave differently. He should act differently. He should be like, he should think better, etc. And suddenly, with, instead of passing through neutral, without, instead of taking the moment as it is, you're describing the moment to yourself in very distorted way. And you feel bad. And you get irritated and you start screaming or you punish like you do all the things while this is optional you don't have to do it you know i i recently learned that the word shabbat means the origin of the word shabbat uh, is the day that you do not take something and turn it into something else the day you rest the day you meet God. So you mean the, in Jewish tradition, the, the Friday evening, right? The, the Shabbat, that's what you're saying? Yeah, okay. Yeah, which I, I thought was lovely, you know, like you just meet it as it is. You try not to make it into anything via your beliefs, your concepts, your preferences, your ideas of how things should be. Mm-hmm. But what what... What I love about what you're pointing to in terms of it's okay to feel. Like I really honestly mistrust (laughs) any invitation that asks me to negate any part or reject any part. Press, reject, deny, yes. Yeah, so for me, the, the invitation to neutrality has more to do with Actually, our ability to feel everything, no matter how high and no matter how low and no matter how intense, with absolute freedom from it. So allowing that to happen in us is neutrality. It is not the avoidance of experience. It is the absolute surrender to experience in which we just meet whatever is, and allow it to be from an absolute sense of love, respect, and just, I cannot think of a greater love than allowing things to be. Yesterday I discovered something I forgot about. And... um, So I actually met the book I read many, many years ago. And that book was written by, I think, neurosurgeon. And the idea was, so he he lost part of the brain uh, that allows to process emotions. So what he was doing is using himself and his body to describe the experience of not 
being able to process emotions, not being able to feel emotions. And then he recovered and like the, the emotional part came back to him. But what actually struck me in that book is the idea of intensity and time. So the, he makes, uh, unfortunately, I don't remember his first name or last name. But what, what, what he is saying is that human body is not built to feel high intensity pain or emotion for more than 90 seconds. And what he's saying is that if it's higher than that level that you can actually withstand for 90 seconds, you will just like switch off. You will lose your consciousness. Man, we're going to need to, we're going to have to need, we're going to need to talk about sex again from this perspective. Yeah. 90 seconds, come on. <laughs> exactly. But he actually is saying something interesting. He says at the same time, like, yes, your emotion will pass in 90 seconds. Your chemistry will, like in your blood, will go back to normal state in 90 seconds only if you don't think again about it. There you go. So it's the loop. Is the loop. So the thought will turn on your emotion and it will be in your body for 90 seconds. And then if you have another thought, it will turn on your emotion again. It will be in your body for 90 seconds and again and again and again. And he says, if you don't want to feel that anymore, just stop thinking about it. And 90 seconds and it is gone and it will pass. And then he, he summarizes. It's incredible that all what people believe and are afraid of is actually hidden in 90 seconds. Imagine that. Imagine that. Like, we don't want to suffer for 90 seconds. We don't want to, those, for example, with the fear of public speaking, right? They will feel this fear for 90 seconds and that's it. But they don't want to go even through 90 seconds. No, man. Wars are fought to avoid feeling for 90 seconds. Yes. <laughs> People commit suicide to avoid it, mm -hmm. to avoid the, 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 the process, the suffering. And the only reason is the connection between mind and body. And as you keep going and keep thinking and keep believing your thoughts, you turn on this perpetual mobility in your body, which will make you feel again and again the same and the same. What you're saying is incredibly interesting, Misha, because, okay, so I'm going to go slowly, but it will make sense, I promise. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> so this loop, you know, you have to think it again in order to feel it again. That's why the word resentment, you know, from sentire in Latin, feeling, resentment, it's feeling again from rethinking, right? But... If we are only designed to feel for 90 seconds and we take into consideration the fact that emotion is our wisdom system letting us know that we are taking things too personally, that we are 
allowing our experience to come from the personal mind. And that is only designed to last 90 seconds. Man, wisdom has huge faith in us. You know, like it expects us to come to awareness and come to our senses in 90 seconds. Like that, that's how it should be. We should respond to wisdom that fast. It's just that there is so much misunderstanding about how the mind works that we take it as a sign to act or to loop the thought, you know, and, and just let it grow and let it grow and let it grow. And then, of course, the more we loop it, the more the feeling grows and grows and grows because it's, again, wisdom letting you know, hey, come on, you're taking this too seriously. Hey, come on. You're just, you're just looking at this from belief, from preference, from your thinking, from your conditioning. So on the one side of the coin, yes, we are terrified of feeling. It's the only thing we are afraid of. But on the other side, we have such a pure guidance system within us that it's, it lets us know in real time when we are looking at things from a two-personal point of view, and it allows us to see it and fall back into awareness. Remember when we're saying maybe the game is just making that response time shorter? Well, if it's designed for 90 seconds, you know, like there shouldn't be any suffering that lasted for more than that. How amazing is that? What an amazing, beautiful, miraculous life we are invited to have. Right? Talk about guidance. Man. And we resist it. We resist it for so long. But just consider for a second the life we could have if we didn't resist it, if we actually responded to it every 90 seconds. What an adventure that would be. Like we have no idea of knowing where that would take us. And still we find thousands of ways to fuck it up. Oh, man, because, you know, we are creative like that. <laughs> so how we can, from what we just discussed, how we can make a bridge to the idea of following and being followed? What do you mean by followed? Being followed, like being a leader, being the master, being the teacher. Well, we are, <laughs> you see, the point is that we, as we are talking about it, even as we are discussing it, we are making a separation between us and wisdom, us and the guidance system. But that separation is not real. We are wisdom in the moment so that there is no sign and follower, you see? It's just that we are all the time going from one to the other. But because we are identified with the receiving end more of the time, we think there's wisdom and us and it talks to us and it guides us and it lets us know. But no, we are the counterpart as well. And so we just, we walk, you know, we walk 
putting our weight on one foot and then the other, and then the other, and then the other. It's that game that allows for movement, that allows for a path to be created. You cannot advance if you stay on one of those ends. I love it. I love the idea is that first you need to understand how to follow and everything happens in your head actually like in your mind and in your body and that's the starting point i also like the idea is that you can't become a master if you're a slave and what mind our minds is doing to us it is actually pretending it is our slave in fact it is our master <laughs> and the other way around <laughs> and the other way it's just unbelievable what an unbelievable illusion what we a think design. and beautiful design as well like we think that the thoughts are ours and we think that we can direct the thinking and in reality we just have the experience of it but neither thoughts no direction belongs to us. <laughs> exactly. And that is why we were saying that the game is awareness. Because you can only see it once it has happened. You cannot see it before, so you cannot plan it. You cannot force it. You cannot command it. You can just become aware of it once and again and again. And that's it. So you can release let go, surrender to the process itself, you see? And this, tying it up to what you were saying at the beginning, you know, like, why does the lesson come back? You cannot force the process. The whole process of evolution, of enlightenment, of awareness, of self-knowledge, is like a, it's like, a, like a snake changing its skin. You cannot make it go faster. Have you ever seen a snake when it changes skin? They stay really, really, really still. They don't move for the longest time until the skin separates. And then they just slide with an elegant, clean movement out of it. But if you try to rip the skin off before time, you will heal. You will, you will, um, I'm looking for the opposite word of healing. You will damage. Yeah, it would torn their skin. Yeah, like their the next, the next skin. So you cannot urge the process. You have to give it time, which is weird because we're talking about everything happening outside of time. But still, there is the experience of time. And so there is the experience of being the servant, being the master, being the wisdom, being the the guided one being the guide being right and this is how we go i also have this analogy or kind of association that you learn how to surrender and you become a master of it and then you can teach others but basically what you're teaching is how to follow. There you go. 
what Marina, what we've done just now, we basically destroyed the whole category of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> but we did so by building it again. Do you see the beauty of it? Yes. It's like mastering your life, mastering your mind, understanding, having deep understanding of the nature makes you brilliant follower of life and amazing teacher as well. And then you can add any specific knowledge to that, like, for example, knowing how to assemble tables or like kitchen cabinets. Yeah. And you will become a true leader no matter what you do with this understanding. As teachers, we are teaching how to learn, but we are learning ourselves. See the beauty of the design? Like you cannot escape it. How do you differentiate or how you know whether you see the true master in front of you or someone who claims to be a master but is actually lost? Well, I, that just depends on which moment you find. <laughs> because all masters get lost all the time. <laughs> and, and they get found all the time. You see, it's, <laughs> it's not personal. But for me, when I find someone who is lost, but they know that they're lost, that is huge. And then the next step, when I find someone and they know that, that, that are lo they're lost, but they know that they're lost, but they're not trying to get found, but they are okay with being lost, that's a new level. You see, there's an amazing poem by David Wagner called Lost. And it's by far one of my favorite poems in the world. And uh, David Wagoner, what he did was that he traveled the Pacific Northwest and he <clears throat> collected ancient stories of wisdom from American tribes. And then he turned them into poetry. And this particular one called Lost, it is... It is supposed to be a story of what a grandfather or a grandmother, an elder, would do when a little boy or a little girl would ask them, what do I do when I am lost in the forest? And it is such a testament to presence and to understanding the mechanics of life. It's such a beautiful invitation to surrender in an attempt to guide yourself <laughs> it's funny that very often you meet other types of people one type would say i'm master and they're not aware that they're actually lost another type they are aware that they're lost, 
but they cannot admit it. They are not humble enough. There is no humility yet in their life to say, well, actually, I'm lost and I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, they're, they're not able to recognize it or not able to stand it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we keep going. Yeah. Keep going and, and inevitably, you get to the point where you realize, you know, getting lost is just part of it. It's just one step forward. This is, this is good news. This is proof that you have reached the limit of your understanding, that you are about to see something new. It's just your judgment about being lost that is not allowing you to experience it as such. We had the other day this beautiful conversation and you reminded me about what you actually do when you know you're lost. Can you please repeat that for everyone else? And I, I will remind you the beginning and then you will continue I can cry. so i was telling you about the situation that um i got into and in this situation we kind of are about to lose a very big chunk of money and i need to decide what to do with that and you told me that if you don't know what to do that's okay to be still and not do anything yeah. Where were you coming from? We tend to believe that not knowing is a place of unbalance. And we fail to see that not knowing is as absolute as knowing. When we don't know, we know that we don't know. And it's perfect. So the ability to stay in the knowing of your not knowing until you know something different speaks to me of true presence, of true allowance, of true surrendering. You see, the rational mind is always trying to figure out stuff. And in that figuring out, there is a sense of wanting to find the best solution, the best option, according to the rational, according to evidence, according to acquired knowledge, according to experience, according to possible futures, you know, projections. But that has nothing to do with wisdom, with spiritual intelligence. When, when you know, you just know. There is a natural movement that is flowing from within that has nothing to do with facts and that has nothing to do with what, what should be better, could be better, would be better. It's just what is needed. It's just what is evident. The, the beauty of truth is that it is self-evident. It doesn't need convincing. It doesn't need defending. 
this capacity to stay in the unknown, to stay in the not known, and allow things to unfold from that, is true stillness. There is something we know about the nature of decision-making that is a bit counterintuitive to many people. Actually, there are no decisions. And you already know. So, and there are two situations. In one, you actually already know. You just pretend you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. You already know what you want to do. I was working with a client today and that was like just so the classical, classical textbook example of that. Yes. And then there is another example when actually you have no idea. And again, decision is already made. When you don't have any idea, you just wait. When you know. And the third part you told me, which was very wise, and it happens often that you tell me wise things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. You basically said, if the day comes and you still don't know, you just, and the deadline is now. And you still don't know. Just make the decision. Yeah, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. You have no clue, and whatever the decision you make is a good one. By the way, it's funny, but for that situation, for that specific situation, I don't have many of them in my life. But good example. I was thinking about a while ago about what part of the city I should actually live in, like the north or the south, let's say. Now, since I have no clue where actually I should live and I, I, I don't know the city, I have no idea what part is really better. I mean, they look the same statistically and after doing the research, they actually look pretty much the same. And I don't have opportunity to visit and to fill the parts. So I have my favorite coin <laughs> for occasions like that. Okay. And one side of the coin has a bear and another has uh, a, like the, the queen's face. And I just flip the coin. And I know... The coin never lies. <laughs> and this is how we ended up living in the north part of the city. And we totally love it. There you go. The coin never lies. Yes, the coin never lies. Absolutely. You know, scientifically, the more, the more research they do, the more they are reaching the conclusion that the decision-making process is something that happens at a completely unconscious level in the brain, and then we are just informed of it. Like awareness is just informed of the decision, 
And so from then forward, it would seem like there is an I that is making the decision because, you know, I thought of it, but it was just informed. And we go back to this, this conundrum of we just become aware of things once they have happened. So why not surrender in the first place? Another part to, to the analysis and to the research and to paralysis by analysis, we've heard that many times, is that the belief comes first and evidence comes later. I remember when I was starting this business in my market, the, I, I, I've paid um, quite known consultant I, I've paid a heavy you know fee for helping me out and segmenting the market and understanding whether I should like take this niche or another niche you know what consultants do and she also had very similar business to the one I wanted to start and she was incredibly smart like one of the smartest people I uh, ever met and what she told me is that, hey, if you decide to go to the niche you want to go, it's impossible to create any business there that will go beyond half a million dollars. The segment and the market is so small, you have no, like, no possibility to go beyond half a million dollars. And the thought I had in my mind was just watch me do it. You like a challenge. I love it. I love the challenge. And I was like, just watch me do it. And I've done it. Now, what was interesting, she gave me all the stats and all the numbers. And mathematically, everything was correct. Her train of logic was ideal Yes, she was right. It was impossible. And at the same time, I was thinking to myself, just watch me do it. And, you know, like, actually we struggled for the first 12 months. And then one year and a half, we crashed through the ceiling, you know, and I never had any doubt that we'll be able to do it just because I have this quirky, you know, nature and I love the challenge, and I just wanted to, to see whether it's possible purely based on belief. And, and the part I, I wanted to mention is that I never, ever watched at those numbers she provided again. And I still don't care about the numbers. I don't want to measure. I don't want to see the growth patterns. I don't want to see the correlations and causations because I think whatever my belief is, I will always find the evidence of my belief. Of course. Of course. And we go back to believing versus knowing. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I was, someone asked me not, not too long ago, like, how did your path begin? And my mind, I could see my mind immediately go to study, you know, like, well, I started studying with this person and I started reading when I was 15 and I started, you know, like, and, and I kind of gave 
like offered those those responses in exchange for something new like i said yeah 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 this is my rational mind bringing the answer what else is there and and my mind provided me with a beautiful image of myself when i was like four or five years old and i was up in the roof of my house sitting in a space where the walls left a vertical strip of sky and I was looking at the clouds fly by and, you know, the occasional plane and bird. And the feeling I had when I had that image in my mind was an, an, a feeling of absolute certainty that everything was going to be okay. And then I remembered that I used to go up to the roof of my house and sit in that space Whenever there was trouble in my house, whenever, you know, my brothers were fighting or my parents were fighting, whenever there was trouble is when I would go up there. But when I was up there, I knew things were going to be all right, even though I have no evidence, no information to support that. It was just a feeling like a deep, deep knowing, right? Whereas when I was studying, you know, Sufism and mysticism and all the things I studied when I was a teenager and, and onward, it was me looking for information that would prove that everything was going to be all right. And I saw the stark difference between looking for evidence to get to a knowing and just knowing. That's a missed story. Well, I like it. <laughs> I like it as well. I, I immediately went back to how that started for me. How did it start for you? The first personal development book I ever read. See, not ever read, but the first development book I read. I was, I think, like maybe 11, maybe 12, was called How to Stop Worrying and Be Happy. I think, or I, I think it was the, the, the name, it was written by Dale Carnegie, actually. Well, he's a wise guy. <laughs> he's wise. And I was reading the book and... And I, I don't remember the content of the book, to be honest. But I remember, till now, I, I remember the thought I have. And it was really weird. I thought, this is me who wrote the book. Oh, there you go. It was wild. Like, I'm like, hey, I, at that time, I even could not read in English. But I thought, this is me. How cool is that? That was weird. <laughs> How cool? At that time, is it? But you see, that explains a lot. You started with Dale Carnegie. I started with the essentialists. You know? <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely desperate paths. But yeah. But here we are, right? Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Is it? Yeah. Excellent. Talking about the nature and understanding. Yeah. So talk about guidance. 
right? Like if, when you really start looking into the nature of guidance, you realize that there has not been a single second of your life when it has not been present. Yeah. It has been a beautiful conversation, Marina. I have really, really enjoyed it. It went a little bit everywhere, as always. As always. <laughs> But I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Nisha. Yeah, thank you. And we have to think up episode number 10. Well, maybe people would like to uh, suggest. Yes, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask our audience what they want us to talk about in the episode number 10. That would be cool. That would be cool. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.